You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Tuesday episode for you. We're going to talk about those semifinal games yesterday in college football. Boy, two really, really good ones. I've got so many thoughts on each game. If we get to it, we'll talk some NFL. The Eagles collapse. Lamar Jackson heading into the playoffs. If he doesn't do it this year, I don't know if he's ever doing it. Uh, Jordan Love and the season he's kind of having under the radar. Lot to talk about. Let's see if we can get to all of it today. And we'll get to all that momentarily. All right, let's start off here. First playoff game yesterday, Bama and Michigan. I am really, really surprised, to be honest with you. If we're going over my plays, by the way, in pros I went 1-3-1, and one, pushed on my top play of the week, Tennessee Titans. Excuse me, Indianapolis against the Raiders. Oh, I get Tennessee. Um, Indy, minus three against the Raiders. They gave up a late touchdown, to, and Raiders uh, lost by three, 23-20, pushed on that. Lost on the Miami Dolphins. Bad bet. Cincinnati Bengals, plus seven. I can't believe they didn't cover that game. They lost by eight. The one win I had was the underdog play of the week. Man, 10-7 and seven on my underdog plays of the week this year, and eight of them won outright. Green Bay was an easy win over Minnesota, and the three-team 10-point tees lost because um, Miami got drilled, right? Or who was it? I lost one of the other ones. I'm... <laughs> So pissed off. One, three, and one on those plays. Anyway, two plays yesterday in college that I that I said I liked were Alabama and the uh, Texas Washington over. Those went one and one. But man, Alabama. I mean, if I would have told you with four minutes left in the game, Alabama having the ball in Michigan territory with a touchdown lead, you probably would have thought Alabama was going to win. But their offensive line failed them. They get sacked. They have to punt. Michigan marches down the field. They score. It was just not ideal, to, <laughs> to, to say the least, you know? So there's two main things I want to talk about in this Alabama game, and that is once Michigan tied the game at 20 apiece, they scored with a minute and 34 left. So you're just like, okay, 20-20, minute 34 left. I believe Alabama had two timeouts left at that point. Uh, Might have been one, but they had the ball with a minute and 34 they get in field goal range. Their field goal kicker is one of the best kickers in the history of college football. He had already hit a field goal over 50 yards for the game. You just needed to get from the tw- your own 25 to the Michigan 35 in a minute and a half. I mean, that was completely doable. However, they don't. They get stopped third and 10 um, on their own 37. Don't get closer, so they have to punt it. I think one of the most underrated plays of this game was that punt. You remember what happened? Alabama kicker punted it to the six-yard line, and the Michigan punt returner fumbled it and went backwards and picked it up at the one. Now, once that happened, because you were like, oh, my gosh, what if Alabama punts to Michigan, and now Michigan has plenty of time to go score? Because when Michigan got the ball back, they had 44 seconds. If they would have got the ball back at their own 20, 25 could have got a return out to the 20 or 25. They only needed 40 to 45 yards in 40 seconds to get downfield and possibly kick a game-winning field goal. But the punt returner fumbles it at the five, picks it up at the one, and if you didn't remember this play, I mean, I'd say nine times out of ten, anytime that happens, the second the punt returner picks it back up and is tackled immediately, 
like the Alabama guy did to the Michigan receiver, the guy fumbles it. Like, how many times have you seen a punt returner fumble the punt, go back and get it, and then right when he picked it up gets drilled? Because that's exactly what the Alabama guy did. It's not like he tackled him at his knees. He tackled him full body right into the chest a half a second after the Michigan punt returner picked up the ball. I cannot believe he didn't fumble it. It was the most impressive thing I might have seen all day yesterday in that game. Because if he fumbles it, Alabama takes over on the one or recovers it in the end zone, and that game's over. Go back and watch that play. Tell me you cannot believe that guy hung on to the ball. He had three guys searing down on them like heat-seeking missiles, and he literally picked it up at the one, falling back. His momentum wasn't even going forward. His momentum was going backward, and the Alabama guy drills him right when he catches it or picks it up, and he holds on to it and gets tackled at the one. That's the other amazing thing, that he didn't get tackled in the end zone. Because if that happens, Alabama gets a safety, and they win 22-20. It was an unbelievable play that I don't think enough people are paying attention to. So we go to overtime. Michigan scores on their first possession. Alabama gets down to, we're not going to go over every single play, but Alabama gets down to the three-yard line on and, and fourth down. Call the timeouts. I don't like the play call at all. It was a terrible play call. You haven't been able to run up the middle most of the game. I cannot believe they called a quarterback draw with your season on the line and a chance to go to the national championship. It is fourth and goal. This is the last play. Either you are tying it and going to a second overtime or your season's over. So if you call a quarterback draw, that means you have to execute the hike and everything in front of the quarterback has to be perfect. Your offensive line has to create a lane because if they don't, ball game, tackled, game over, which is exactly what happened. How in that situation do you not have Jalen Milrow roll out? Because if at least he rolls out, he can throw it to somebody. He can um, run it in himself after seeing lanes open. Hiking the ball to the quarterback and having him run straight ahead and then fall down at the three-yard line, the whole season was that play, and that's what they came up with? And yes, that was the play. That wasn't a broken play. The second Jalen Milrow caught the snap, he started running straight forward. His offensive lineman got pushed into him, which knocked him down, but you looked at it from every angle. There was no lane there, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, that's a hell of a play call with your season on the line. Because everything has to work. Because if no lane is opened up, you have no other options. Because it wasn't, oh, let's roll out. Let's have three or four guys possibly to throw it to. And if not, maybe you can tuck it and run. No, it was just run the ball. If it's open, it's open. It's not, well, I guess our season's over. Just a bad, bad play call. Couldn't believe that. But, hey, Michigan wins. They're on to the national championship game where they will take on the Washington Huskies. And I swear to you, this isn't hyperbole. And it's not recency bias because it just happened last night. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> no joke. If the Washington Huskies would have lost that game, it would have been the worst loss and biggest choke I've ever seen. And I think a lot of us have ever seen. It's not hyperbole. Because we've seen people come back, you know, the Super Bowl, 28-3, Patriots come back. That's a combination of a lot of things. There was still over a quarter left when the Patriots came back. We've seen comebacks all the time, you know, whatever. 
wow, they were down 25 and they came back. You know, Jacksonville in the playoffs last year against the Chargers. Choke by, job by the Chargers, but there was still, there was over two quarters left when Jacksonville came back on the Chargers last year. Do you understand what Washington did? Do you understand what the ending of that game, how badly they screwed it up? Okay. There's a minute and nine left, and Washington has just recovered the onside kick in Texas territory. Texas only has two timeouts. So you run the ball twice, takes three or four seconds for each play. The first play started at 109. Texas called timeout at 106. Second down, ran the ball again. Texas calls their last timeout with 102 left. So now it's third down. Texas has no timeouts left. Anything other than a turnover, once the play is over, which will take five seconds, that'll get us down to, you know, 57, 58 seconds, 40 seconds then runs off the clock and you punt it. So Texas would get the ball back at best on their own 20. If you kick it out of the end zone, it's a touchback. Texas gets the ball at their own 20, and there's probably 11 seconds left, 10 seconds left, and they need a touchdown. The worst possible thing in the world happened to the Washington Huskies. And look, I don't want to fault the kid because he was hurt, but Washington hands the ball off to their running back and he gets hurt. And he stays on the field. So if you're injured on the field, the clock stops. But once you're taken off the field, it's not like it just picks up and it keeps running. So he gets hurt and there's 47 seconds left on the clock. And now Washington has to punt the ball with 47 seconds left instead of 17 seconds left. Because 10 seconds ran off the clock after he got tackled, and then he was still down on the ground, so they stopped the game. I, I, I Now, you could say they're like, who didn't tell that kid to get off the field? Why weren't his teammates carrying him off the field? The second he is down and the refs have to stop the clock because of an injury, it wasn't restarting until the ball was put in play again. So you're like, okay, well, now they had 47 seconds. Washington punts the ball. Washington interferes on the Texas punt returner. Now Texas is starting on their own 30-yard line with 47 seconds left when they should have had the ball at best at their own 20 with 11 seconds left. Do you realize how much of an eternity that was? And then we saw what happened. They complete a long pass to Jordan Winnington. They get down there. And then fortunately for the Washington Huskies, Texas went brain dead when they had first first and goal or first and 10 on the 15 with 15 seconds left. And they ran four of the worst plays knowing that a win gets them to the national championship. Just a bunch of, they went, they ran a wheel route in the first play and then three straight incompletions that weren't even really close. So Washington escapes, but man, I'm telling you, we, you would have called you would have, it would have been up there with the, what's it called? The miracle and metal, the, the miracle at the metal ends. When Giants were losing to Philadelphia and Philadelphia, all they needed to do was, I guess, run one more play and they fumbled on it. And, or no, the, the Philly was on defense. The Giants were at home. All they needed to do was run the ball and not turn the ball over and the game was over and they fumbled it. That was the Joe Pisarczyk play, I believe. Herm Edwards picked the ball up and ran in for a touchdown. The Eagles beat the Giants in the Meadowlands. Miracle to Meadowlands. I can't remember what year. I don't remember the score. I don't remember the situation. But it was all the Giants had to do was hand off one time. Here's the thing with Washington. When they had the ball with 109 left and Texas only had two timeouts, technically you don't even have to hand the ball off and run it. 
if Michael Penix just took the snap and took a knee three straight times, you would have the same outcome, and you wouldn't have to worry. Your running back obviously wouldn't have gotten hurt because you're not handing off to him. So that's what I mean when I say it would have been the worst choke job because Washington didn't do what they were supposed to do, which is just take a knee. Take a knee on the first play. They call timeout. Their second one, 106 left. Take a knee on second down. They call timeout. Their last one, 102 left. Take a knee on third down. Nobody gets hurt. 40 more seconds runs off the clock, and now you're punting the ball away with about 20 seconds left. Five seconds for the play. They get the ball, like I said, at best on their own 15 with 15 seconds left, max. And because they decided to hand the ball off, look, 99 99 times out of 100, that doesn't happen. I get it. But that's what you have to do as a head coach. You have to eliminate any possibility that you could screw this up. And the only way you could guarantee that would just be hike the ball and have Michael Penix take a knee. Don't even worry. Don't even have guys blocking, for Christ's sakes, because somebody could get hurt and they'd have to stay on the field and the clock stop. Oh, that would have been the most gut-wrenching loss and also the worst choke job I've ever seen in sports history. And I'm not kidding. Now, looking ahead to next week, championship game, Washington-Michigan. Michigan has been installed as three-and-a-half, four-point favorites right now, total of 55-and-a-half. Look, I'm not going to make any bones about it. I want Washington to win. I think they're a great story. I hope they win. I'm going to be cheering for them to win. I might even bet on them to win. I don't know who's going to win this game. This is clearly a matchup of a team that can throw the ball all over the field versus a team that wants to play ball control, throw short passes, and control the line of scrimmage. Michigan is going to shove the ball down Washington's throat. Washington's going to have to hope for a better stout defense against the run. Texas ran the ball all over them, did what they wanted, but kept shooting themselves in the foot. I guess Washington can hope for – I don't think Washington is going to stop Michigan's running game. But what they need to do is once Michigan gets in the red zone, hold them to field goals. Now, is Washington going to be able to sit back there and throw bombs all day long? Probably not because the – Michigan Wolverines have a great front seven. But you've watched Washington play. If you've seen these last few games or you've watched them during the Pac-12 this year, Michael Penix has one of the quick releases in all of college football, if not the quickest release in all of college football. So it's not like every single play is going to sit back there and drop back and hope to have five seconds. How many bubble screens does he throw? How many quick hitches does he throw a game? 10, 15? So, They're going to get their players out in space. That's what they need. That's why I think this game is going to be fascinating. I can't wait. I want to see Washington win. Um, I think they're a great story. This is only the third time in college football history. We have two 14-0 teams playing for the national championship. The amazing thing about Washington, and, you know, this is kind of the story with TCU last year, doesn't mean the same thing is going to happen in the championship game. Yeah, it's definitely not. Michigan can't score 65 points in a game. They're not going to beat Washington 65-7. But this is now 10 straight games that Washington has won by 10 points or less. Like, at what point does the luck run out here? I'm not saying all every single win they had out of those games was lucky because some of them like were by – but you're looking at 10 straight games. They won their first four games of the season in blowouts, but every game since then has been by 10 points or less. And I think only two of them were by – nine or 10. So you're looking at eight straight or eight out of the last 10 games that they played one score games. Does it, does the clock finally strike midnight for them? 
is it just too much to ask all season long to just keep playing close games and winning close games? Are they due to get blown out? I don't know. If I knew that, we'd be all, like I say it all the time, we'd be rich if we knew what was going to happen in these games. But I am keeping that in the back of my head that they have won 10 straight games, 10 points or less. It also could mean for people that think, oh, that means Michigan's, you know, they're due to get blown out, Washington. Well, it also could mean Washington's going to win another close game. Like, why didn't it stop at six? Why didn't it stop at seven? Why didn't it stop at eight? They just keep winning. So I think it's going to be a fabulous national championship game. I just, I'd really like to see Washington win. I, I'm just, I'm really, they're, they're just fun to watch. Kalen DeBoer. I mean, if you remember all the way back to the beginning of the season, before the college football season even started, go back and listen to my podcast with Jordan Rogers. Who is the guy and who is the coach that we talked about in that in that podcast where we said, watch out for this team? I said, I love Michael Penix and I love Kalen DeBoer. And look at what they've done. Did I think they were going to go 14-0 and play for the national championship? No, but I knew they were going to be good. And I knew Michael Penix is going to be good. His draft stock seems to be rising. If I'm an NFL team, I'm absolutely looking at that guy hard because he can make every throw in the book. So I can't wait for next Monday night. We'll have a full week to talk about other things in regards to that game. But great, great two games last night uh, in college football. And um, going to be even better next year when we have even more playoff games with good teams playing each other. So happy this one. Remember, 15 of the 20 semifinal games in since the college football playoff started were decided by double digits or more. Both of our games yesterday, close. Seven-point game and a six-point game, 37-31. What did I tell you when I was talking about what I liked about the Washington game? I was like, I could see this, 38-34, 41-38. You know, 38-31, I mean, I just, I liked the over. Really wasn't in doubt, but got a little hairy there in the fourth quarter. But I really good game, but it had no business going down to the last play of the game. And if Washington would have lost that, holy shit. One of the, one of the if not the biggest collapse in college football history. You know what, I don't want to tack on NFL to the end of this podcast because there's so much I want to talk about. Tomorrow's going to be all NFL talk again. We're going to talk about the Eagles. We're going to talk about Lamar Jackson. While it's while they look like the best team in football, all I got to do is bring you back three years, well, four years actually, to remind you how, look, the regular season, while it may lead you to believe certain things about, the postseason is a different animal. And we're going to see that again this postseason, I'm sure. You know, it looks very easy. It looks very easy to just say, oh, San Francisco, Baltimore, Super Bowl. It very well might be. I think it'd be a great Super Bowl if we had San Francisco, Baltimore. But it's usually never that easy. So I've got some stuff to throw at you tomorrow. We're also going to talk about playoff teams this year versus last year. Has the pattern held true? Remember how I say basically – 14 teams make the playoffs, and basically every year you can flip out 50% of them are not going to make it the following year. They're going to be replaced by new teams. So how many out of the 14 playoff teams from 2022 are back in 2023? We'll take a look at that, even though not everything has been decided. 
And how about the fact that the Buffalo Bills could end up, after Sunday night's game in Miami, could end up as the number two seed in the AFC. They also could end up as the number six seed in the AFC. They also could not make the playoffs. I don't know. I can't remember that ever happening in the history of NFL. That going into the final game, a team had the ability to be the number two seed and also not even make the playoffs. But that could possibly happen to the Bills, and it is not far-fetched at all. I'll explain to you why tomorrow. So, so much to talk about tomorrow, but I wanted to talk college football today. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. Later on this week, we're going to talk to Jeffrey Benson, who's the Director of Operations at Circa Sports. We're going to talk about the Circa Contest, what's going on there, and some other things going on in the world of gambling. So, thank you again for listening. I appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!